We're in Exodus chapters 15, 16, 17, 18 today. I'd invite you to turn there with me. We're also celebrating Memorial Day, and I'm going to be praying at People's or, uh, uh, the, uh, the Park, Pines Park, down in um, Dana Point at 10 o'clock tomorrow for the Veterans of Foreign Wars having a celebration. There's about 500 people there. Parking has horrendous, so ride with somebody and uh, get there early if you can and uh, come to celebrate. You know, people join the military for a number of reasons. I've never heard anybody say, I'm doing it for all the creature comforts. That's the reason I joined the military is just to, because it's such a cush life. No, they do it for love of God and country. They have a purpose. They expect difficulty. They expect discomfort. And they're pushing for the purpose. They're going to try to be working to reach a goal and to accomplish an objective. And here we are looking in the book of Exodus. I kind of want to look at these two together because we have seen God with his mighty hand and in response to the cries of his people, set them free from slavery. But that didn't put them on easy street. They had to make a quick getaway out of Egypt. And once again, God by his mighty hand did miracles to save their lives because they're trapped in by the mountains on both sides, the Red Sea in front of them and the storming Egyptian army coming behind them. And God opens a way where there is no way. And they're able to walk through on dry ground. And God stood between them and their enemies with his pillar of fire by night and a towering cloud by day because God was their protector. They walk through the bottom of the Red Sea on dry ground and they come out the other side and they stand and they watch as the Egyptian army comes racing through the bottom of the sea and then God collapsed the sea walls onto the Egyptian army and reduced the threat to zero in one second. Now one moment they're expecting to die violently. And the next moment, they're laughing themselves silly with relief and gratitude. I mean, God led them in a, uh, Moses led them in a song of thanks and in deliverance. And his sister Miriam is on the tambourine leading the dancing and the singing. And they catch their breath and they thank God. But soon enough, it's time to get on to the reason that God set them free. And that was to cross the wilderness and to find success over their hardships. And in the process, to hear God's word and to worship the one true God and to place him at the center of their lives and to reach the promised land that God is giving to them. And to do that, they had to cross the wilderness. Now, I don't know if you've spent any time out in a wilderness or a desert, but a wilderness is a place of harsh simplicity. It gets you back to basics just to survive. You need water. You need food. It doesn't have to be fancy. It just has to stab off your hunger. And you need shelter. You need protection. You need to keep moving towards your goal and checking every so often to be sure you aren't just going in great big circles. You need to keep your wits about you. In fact, lots of people have been tricked by the desert. They get out there. They get hot. They get thirsty. They look too far ahead, and they see a mirage, and they get too excited too soon. They, you know, they find that the heat and the cold and the hunger and the thirst and the wandering and the dirt and the blazing sun and the darkness can all kind of get irritating after a while. And they trick themselves into thinking, complaining will help. Well, it doesn't. Complaining never helps alleviate suffering. It just drags people down, but people seem to do it. In fact, the best help I found on this is Abraham Maslow, who developed, is a psychologist, he developed a hierarchy of needs. He basically said, you can tell what is working by what people complain about. So, you know, at the bottom are your physiological needs and, uh, and all the other needs that we have uh, all the way up. For instance, if a person is complaining to their friends about their friends, that their friends are rude... Well, then you probably, they're not, their lives aren't under threat, and they're not going hungry, and they're not worried about where they're going to sleep that night. And so all of those have been met. 
Well, some military people, more than one, has returned from the fight and been surprised and disappointed what people are willing to complain about. That here they've lost some of their best friends to defend your freedom, and they hear people complain about the color of their car or the color of their fingernails or something else just as trivial. And God had warned Moses about a lot of adverse things that were going to happen when he got to Egypt and he had to deal with Pharaoh. But I didn't find any scripture where God says to Moses, Now, Moses, look out for those ex slaves because I'm going to save their lives. I'm going to set them free. I'm going to supernaturally keep them fed and clothed and watered and protected. I'm going to share myself with them. I'm going to give them guidance how to live successful lives. I'm going to protect them from their enemies. And at every step, they will be complaining, complaining, complaining. Every step of the way, they will take every situation and find something negative to say about it. They will remember Egypt with rose-colored glasses. And imagine, they're going to imagine remembering sitting around big pots of stew in Egypt eating cucumbers. And, and they will regret they ever left such a garden spot. Look out, Moses, because you're going to do what's right. And for that, they will be in your face. You no, know, no, God never said anything like that to Moses. Never gave him that warning. He just expected Moses to listen to his voice and obey him. Anyway, we come to the end of Exodus 15, and Moses led them in this big song over the, of, of victory over the Egyptians, and uh, then God is leading them, and they go through a series of crises. Now, God never said to his people, follow me and your life will be a piece of cake. What does he say? I will be with you. When times get hard, I will be with you. He doesn't remove you from the crisis, but he promises to be with us each and every moment. Each crisis gave them an opportunity to see God at work or to complain about their situation, to complain about the leadership of Moses, to complain about the hardships. Really what they were doing is they were complaining about God and his plan. Or they could have chosen to call out to God in faith and wait for God to lead and watch God work. God is awesome. Let's believe in him. Let's go with God. Let's do a better job remembering what God has done for us in the past. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he has brought us this far, he hasn't brought us this far to abandon us at this point. These people had hardly started out, and they ran into a series of crises. Look at Exodus 15, verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur, they went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. That's why it's named Marah, which means bitterness. And the people grumbled against Moses. And they said, what shall we drink? And I learned the answer to that question from a POW, ex-POW, who had been a friend of mine. And he said, the answer to what water do you drink in dire situations is drink all the water you can find, regardless of its risk or the disease you might get. You can get well from diseases. Dehydration will kill you. You, of course, can make up your own mind. And pure drinking water is one of the gifts that uh, we in life we take for granted, which a lot of our world doesn't enjoy. I mean, think about it. When was the last time in your prayer you actually said, God, thank you for the pure water that I'm drinking today? These people walked into the wilderness for three days, and they ran out of water. Now, water weighs 8.34 pounds per gallon, and the experts say that you should drink half an ounce per pound 
of your body weight. So if you weighed 150 pounds, and I'm not going to ask you, that would be 75 ounces of water per day that you would need to drink without factoring in the blazing sun or the heat or the wind exposure or the exercise of carrying all your earthly possessions on your back. So a gallon is 128 ounces. So a family of four would really need, at a minimum, just for drinking, three to four gallons of water per day. So that's 90 to 100 pounds for this family of water they've been carrying, and they run out. And then they get to water, and it's so bitter that dehydrated people don't even want to drink it. What were their choices? You could drink the bitter water or die of dehydration. You could complain and grumble and moan and groan, or you could pray and ask God for his help. They never got to the last one. They chose to complain. It became their most outstanding characteristic as a generation. It's sad, but when you read the story, they complain, they groan, they grumble, they whine, they whispered, they splattered their bad attitude all over the place when they could have been calling out to God in faith, teaming up with God as their champion. He certainly had been. And I hope we learn this lesson faster, having their negative example to look at, that when we're entering into the challenge of crossing a wilderness, endure hardship, avoid complaining, and ask God for his help. Look, it says, Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. How did they do? Did they pass the test, do you think? I don't think so. God said to them, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. God's saying, I used some of those diseases in the plagues in Egypt to try to catch people's attention and to draw them back to myself. And I will refrain from putting those diseases on you if you just follow me in obedience and in trust. Obedience brings blessing from God. Once again, God's doing a miracle on their behalf. There is no tree that exists today on the Sinai Peninsula that anybody knows about that is able to be thrown into the water and turn bitter water into sweet water. So God was doing a miracle that only he can do. And what you see is that God guides and provides in our crises. You can trust him. Remember, the wilderness is a time of testing. It's a place to get back to basics. God used the wilderness throughout the whole Bible to speak to his people of his choosing. Who else spent time in the wilderness? Oh, come on. There's one easy one. That's the answer to every question in Sunday school. Jesus. Who else? Elijah. Good. Who else? John the Baptist. David. About 15 years. Paul. And the list goes on and on and on of people that were God used the wilderness to shape them and to test them. Water's the first big test. The people failed. So God performed a miracle on their behalf anyway. How great is our God? So it's the Memorial Day weekend. It's time for us to choose to remember how great is our God and to choose to remember that and to celebrate him all the time. Well, once they had enough to drink, then people get hungry. 
Exodus 16. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. Now, that's a great name, but it has nothing to do with iniquity or transgression. You know what I'm saying? Somebody just named, hey, let's call this the wilderness of sin. So, it's between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month. So, they've been at it for about six, uh, six weeks after they departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat by the meat pots and we ate bread to the full. Now, we weren't there. But do you think they had it that good in Egypt? Sitting around big pots of stew, eating their cucumbers? I doubt it. I think this is a retouched photo in their mind of how great it used to be. Like the guy who wears a shirt, you know, an athlete. The older I get, the better I was. <laughs> if it was that great, they wouldn't have begged God, please save us out of Egypt. But God did save them because they prayed to him. So be careful what you pray for because you just might get it. But they said, you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us with hunger. I don't know if you remember the poem. It's been around a while. Forgive me when I whine. Talks about seeing a little girl on a bus and she's so sweet. And then as she gets off the bus, she only has one leg. And the author says, oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two legs. The world is mine. Or a little boy, he stops to buy some candy from him on the street. And he's a happy little guy. But then he realizes the little boy's blind. And the author says, oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two eyes. The world is mine. And then he's down in the street and he's talking, tries to talk to another young person who doesn't respond and he realizes, oh my goodness, he can't hear me, he's deaf. And he says, oh God, forgive me when I whine, I have two ears, the world is mine. Oh God, forgive me when I whine, I've been blessed indeed, the world is mine. Moses has people who were at the point of dehydration and they needed water, he gives them water and now he has a lot of hungry people and sometimes hungry people get irritable. We forget. It's a choice, but they sometimes get irritable. And so uh, that's what Moses has. And so the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people go, shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. There it is again that the hardship in life is a test from God, whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of God, because he's heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you have grumbled against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, it's against the Lord. I don't know if you ever thought that about your own complaining, that you're not really complaining about your situation or about who was supposed to provide what for you. Maybe you're complaining against the Lord. I have a pastor friend in Ohio, and one of his uh, church members is a guy named Mr. Linder, which I think is a great name for a guy who happens to own in Ohio. They're not called 7-Elevens, but the little, little marts on every corner, he owns just about all of them in Ohio. And so he has about 10,000 employees. And so I got to meet Mr. Lender, and we were talking, and he told this story on himself, which I don't know if it's true or if he was just teasing me. But anyway, 
He said at my Christmas party, we had this huge spread for a, a buffet, and I was just going to talk to everybody for a couple of minutes and say, Merry Christmas, and thank you for working for me, and turn them loose to go to the buffet. And just before I'm supposed to make my remarks, as people are getting gathered, I heard what, uh, one man say to his wife, Honey, why don't we just skip the old Duffer's remarks and go straight to the buffet? We can be first in line. And he goes, <clears throat> Excuse me, do you know who I am? And the man said, well, no, I don't. He says, well, I'm Mr. Lender. I, I'm the old duffer you were just talking about. The man was quick on his feet. He says, said, well, Mr. Lender, I'm so sorry. And do you know who I am? And Mr. Lender said, well, no, I don't. He says, oh, good. Quick, honey, run. God's pointing out that when they're grumbling against Moses, when they're grumbling because they're hungry, they're grumbling because they're thirsty, they're grumbling against God because God provides for them. There's a more colorful version of this story in Luke chapter, or Numbers chapter 11. You're going to have to read it, where they get so, that God provides bread for them. It's called manna, and after a while, they get so tired of eating the free food, the free bread, that they complain, we don't ever get any meat, and God brings it to, Moses brings it to God, and God says, okay, I'm going to give them meat. I'm going to bury them in meat. Moses goes, you can't do that. How are you going to do that? God says, well, I'm God. I can take care of that. And there's quail that migrate through there. And so God is irritated. In fact, he says, I'm going to give them so much meat, it will come out their nose. And he, buries, he sends quail in a storm. They, they migrate through there, and then they land on the sand just to rest. They look like they're comatose. God blasted them so that the quail was three feet deep, covering the entire camp. And uh, so God clearly does a miracle to provide Kentucky Fried quail on demand. You know, and say, look it, I'm taking care of you. Well, then it says, verse 13, in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone, there on the face of the wilderness, a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. The people of Israel saw it. They said to one another, what is it? For they didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. I mean, look how God provides. Exactly what's needed, exactly at the right time, given with love. Now, what's the best way to respond? We need to trust God, and the best way to respond in a, in a crisis is trust God. Talk to God. Practice gratitude. How about putting a lot more thank yous into your prayers and a lot fewer gimmies to practice gratitude. And Moses goes on to give them more instruction about take just what you need. You don't have to hoard. You don't have to be greedy. But some people did, and they found that the stuff had rotted by the next morning. That God is clear that on the day before Sabbath, they were to collect twice as much. And this is before the Ten Commandments had even been given to Moses. Now, here's a little aside for those that want to do extra study. If you go and read this chapter, Exodus 16 talking about the manna, and then read John chapter 6, where Jesus has just fulfilled the miracle of feeding 5,000 men plus women and children with a little boy's lunch of five little loaves and two fish. And then he's talking to the people, and he says in verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Jump to verse 48 in John 6. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. 
This is the bread of life that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, if I'd been slick enough, we'd be talking about this on a communion Sunday, which is next week. I just didn't get it lined up quite right. You know what I'm saying? And so next week, we're, we're, we're having actually come to the table where we celebrate around the table of the Lord. And what Jesus is saying here is, I am the manna that was provided in the wilderness. I am the bread from heaven that not only feeds your body temporarily, Jesus feeds our souls. So you have Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness they're being tested. They failed the water test. They failed the bread test. They failed to give us meat test. They've grumbled their way through. Pretty sad legacy they leave behind. So then God gave them another chance on the fresh water quiz, kind of a pop quiz that came up. But in Exodus 17, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord. And they camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. So therefore, the people quarreled with Moses. And I don't know if quarreling is an upgrade from complaining or if Moses is just tired of using the same word over and over and over and over. These people complain. Now he says they quarrel. He said, give us water to drink. And Moses said, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're about ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. And he tells them to go stand up on next to a certain rock and to strike the rock and that the water would come out of the rock. And so Moses did so. And he called the name of the place Masa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, this is Memorial Day weekend. What are you supposed to do on Memorial Day? Remember. You're supposed to remember, and you're supposed to appreciate, to take time to pause and remember people who have a great personal sacrifice provided freedom for you. So who really is the most honorable warrior who's done the most for us? It's God himself. I mean, to make a conscious choice, I don't need to grumble. When life is tough, maybe it's a test from God. I need to pass the test. Just trust God. Just bring it to God in prayer. Take your crisis to God in prayer. They go on to have another crisis that maybe you wouldn't have to have, but they're attacked by the people who live there the, uh, from the Amalek tribe. Now, those actually were distant cousins of the Israelites, and uh, so they're attacking them, and this is the first time where Joshua is mentioned, and Moses sends Joshua to fight against them, and he takes Aaron and her, and he's noticed that when he raises the rod of God, that uh, the Israelite uh, warriors win, and when it comes down, well, then the Amalek uh, warriors are winning. And so Moses goes up, and he is holding up the rod of God, and his hands grow weary, and so Aaron and her put a rock underneath them, have him sit down, hold up the rod, and uh, a miracle happens. And God, uh, once again, gets the victory. And I don't know if you've noticed, but in each of these crises, there are certain common denominators. They have a problem to deal with that seems overwhelming. The people do their best to solve it, but they need God's help. They complain, but they finally... Moses finally calls out, cries out to God and asks for help, and God provides what's needed at just the right time to see his people through their crisis. 
So here God has Moses raise the rod of God, which is in the hand of Moses. It's not a military tactic that has been repeated throughout history or copied or duplicated. I think basically Moses is reaching out to God in prayer, and in doing so he gets tired, so his key helpers help hold up his hands to God, and God sees their faith, and God blesses as only God can. And so Moses, lifting up his hands, is asking God for his protection and for his blessing and for his guidance. There's one more crisis that they deal with in the wilderness. It's found in Exodus 18. Let me tell you the story. Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law, has heard all that God has done. And so he I must have, when Moses was in Egypt during the plagues, must have sent his wife Zipporah and uh, their two sons back to Midian to be safe. And now Jethro is bringing them to be rejoined to Moses. And uh, so Jethro comes and they eat together and they worship together and they spend some time together. And then Jethro is just watching Moses work. And all day long, people will come with their complaints against their neighbor for one reason or another, this infraction or that, bringing their concerns to Moses. And Moses is solving all these. And Jethro basically says, you're going to wear yourself out if you try to do everything. Get some help. And get people, set up people in charge over groups of 1,000 and groups of 100 and groups of 50 and groups of 10. And let them be men who fear God and are trustworthy and hate a bribe and let them help you. And it says, Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and he did all that he had said. See, Moses is intelligent, he's educated, he's experienced, he's seasoned, he's qualified, he's capable. And yet he was humble enough to take advice to listen to people's input, to seek help, to delegate, to share the load. So in this whole story, you see that God took these people on a journey, and it was difficult. Without God's help, it would have been impossible. He got them out of slavery, out of danger. He took them through the wilderness, took them through difficulties and testing. It was one crisis after another. And it's sad that the story relates over and over that these people chose over and over to be anxious and grasping and complaining and ungrateful instead of just trusting God. Just trust God. In fact, the Apostle Paul was dealing with a challenging, contentious church in Corinth, and in 1 Corinthians 10, he uses this story that we've been looking at today as a negative example to basically say, God is still God, and our challenges are just like the challenges that they faced, but we don't have to make the same mistakes they did. Look what he says, 1 Corinthians 10. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. 
Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has taken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful. He'll not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is intended that we would read the account in Exodus and we would realize God is the same today and we get tested the same way these people got tested. Let's not fall into the same pothole in the road that they did. Because the real story, the real hero is God. God delivered them from disaster after disaster. God provided for need after need. God saved them. God sustained them. He defended them. He delivered them along the way through the wilderness. And God cares about them. He cares about us. In fact, he even died for you because he loves you so much. He's provided everything we would need to live a life of godliness and thankfulness. So this Memorial Day, when we take time to remember people who've died for us so that we might truly live, let's remember our great God who died for us and let us truly live for him wherever he may lead. Shall we pray? Dear God, thank you for your word. Help us to be among the faithful ones who when tough times come into our life as a church or even as our life as a family or as an individual, we will begin by looking to you to listen to your voice, to call out to you in prayer, to let you work in your own timing. And we thank you that you love us so much, that you've provided for our every need and you give us challenges that we can meet by the power of Christ alive in us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.